Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Full Metal Pod. I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy. So did you have anything interesting happen this past week? This past week? Not too much. Um, I don't know if our listeners know, I'm a really big Power Ranger fan. I've been one ever since I was a kid. And Power Rangers is leaving Netflix today, but today, January 31st. By the time you're listening to this, it will already have been released from Netflix. You can still watch the original Mighty Morphin and like the newest season, but all the weird in-between stuff is leaving. So I've been binging as much Power Rangers as I can. Nice. I never actually watched it, so I don't have the same nostalgia a lot of people have. My mom was actually, you know, was one of those people who thought it was evil, so I never got to watch it. it but I, I, I have friends who grew up watching it too, and they just, like there's like that air of nostalgia to it. Yeah, there's something about watching Power Rangers that's just it feels so carefree, and I don't know if you love cheesy. 90s humor then you'll love power rangers because even the newer seasons that 90s humor never leaves it's kind of it makes the show what it is Mm-hmm. speaking about 90s shows i was actually binging 90s shows this week too uh well one in particular so i have hbo max and every once in a while, I'll just go through all the different streaming services to see if like hey something interesting was dumped recently or or like, um, uh, or, you know, things like that. Maybe there's something there that I haven't seen yet, something like that. And I don't know if you remember this sitcom. I think it only had like five seasons. Uh, but the Wayans Brothers had a sitcom back in the, like, I think, 1995 up to maybe 2000. And all five seasons are on HBO Max. So I was like, all right, I can do this because I remember being in middle school watching at this point there were reruns on upn of the uh remember when upn was a thing on tv so it's like nostalgia for me did i don't know now i feel like i'm getting confused but did they work in a hotel or was that something else uh no they don't work in a hotel they like um so through the whole series pops who's played by the the late john witherspoon has a diner and then, like, I think second season on, Sean has a has a um, newsstand on the, the ground floor of this office building in New York. And then Sean, or Marlon, rather, just does random things here and there. Man, I, I remember, like, they used to be at the very top, like, when I was, like, thinking of actors, funny comedic actors. And now I don't see any as much of them, but I do enjoy watching White Chicks every now and then. Yeah, between the two of them, I think Marlon's the funnier one, but I also think he's been the most successful. Like he he has a network uh network. He has a Netflix show, uh, I think just called Marlin. And then of course he has a comedy special on there as well. And then he's done different movies, like Obviously, a lot of times you see him with his brother in films, but he's also done a lot of movies without him that got, you know, a lot of praise. Like, I think, was it Requiem for a Dream, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, Fun fact that in, I want to say, Batman, what's it, Batman? Batman Returns. There we go. So in Batman Returns, 
they were going to have a Robin in it, but Tim Burton cut it. But he, but they still paid him uh, for the for the time and everything. Um, what's his face? Uh, Marlon Wayans was supposed to play Robin in that film. Marlon Wayans was going to be Robin for Michael Keane in Batman Returns. Yes, I need to see. Like they have to have some photos of him in the suit, right? There has to be somewhere around. They do that. I I want those photos. They probably do exist, but I don't think they've ever caught it. So he apparently got paid like $100,000 for it. And he still receives royalty checks because he did, I guess, do some work. And then they went a different direction. But because he did the work, he's still eligible for, uh, you know, SAG payment on it. Oh, my gosh. That... That movie, who's in that movie? Danny DeVito as the Penguin and Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. Oh, yeah, that would have been great. I, I don't know if I would love that or not, but I, I want, I want it. Let's kick. What's a uh, kick? Uh, what's it? Kickstarter. What's Kickstarter? This get this happening. Yeah, bring you in. Uh, what's it called? In the Batman to have Marlon Wayans come back. That's like old Robin or something. Though that'd be weird because Marlon Wayans is uh, way older than what's-his-face. Um, ah, dang it. Edward from Twilight. Can't remember his name. Oh, Robert Pattinson. There we go. Yeah, so. But yeah, he is. Uh, that would be a little weird, but it could still work. Man, was Marlon Wayans in this? Now where it's like a Marlon Wayans podcast. But was he in this movie? Blank Man was... Do you remember Blank Man? Is that is that right? I yeah, I don't I don't think so, but I don't even remember that, so. Oh, it's Damon Wayans. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's Damon Wayans and then Keenan Ivory Wayans, but then of course Marlon and Sean. Like they're all related if I'm not mistaken, but um yeah, they've all kind of have their own claims to fame, but they've all, yeah, they're all pretty famous in Hollywood, but different levels, obviously. Um, that's right. I'm just, I, I, I'm trying to remember everything Marlon's been in and like, yeah, he's been in a, he was in a GIG, GIG, GI Joe, uh, rise of Cobra. He was, uh, in a lot of comedies. But yeah, he's he's done a few things. Man, now I'm just di- I'm deep diving in a Wayans hole right now. That's a very talented family. Yes, they are indeed. I would watch them. Uh, it's it's funny if you and not just the Wayans brothers, like any show, like if you're watching Family Matters or or Step by Step, or whatever. If you're watching any show from the 90s, it's like a little time capsule seeing some of the jokes that they tell. And some of them are like still kind of funny. Some of them are really dated because they're mentioning, you know, the celebrities or news events that, you know, if you were alive during the time, you get it. But I could see like a, a Zennial, uh watching it and being like, huh? But then there's just some jokes that are just like, in today's context, are just terrible. Oh, like stuff you cringe at? 
Yeah, yeah, like not to like not to give away too much of a plot on a, you know a twenty year old show, but there's an episode where they start a uh, a cab service specifically to pick up black people since you know black people don't can't get a cab in New York or whatever, um, as as they say. So he they start a, a cab service and they start picking up other people because like it's better business and they pick up this guy who's clearly supposed to be like arab and he's got a box that's ticking and he says take me to the world trade center right now and i'm like yeah that is a joke that did not age well at all oh man yeah you got to pause when you hear that yeah, I was like, wow, good thing they made that joke in 95, because if they made it in 2002 or something, they would have been off the air. Oof, man, gosh. Well, now I want to go back and watch some old 90s shit, not specifically for cringe moments, but, oh, I miss uh, TGI Fridays. Is it, was it called TGI Fridays? Yep. I miss that. Yeah, so or much. TGI, yeah. Or is it just TGIF? Yeah. Is TGI Fridays the I think it was just TGIF. TGI Fridays at the restaurant. Though now I think they're just called Fridays because they want to appeal to a younger generation or whatever. Oh, well, I haven't seen either in a very long time. Neither have I. I can't tell you the last time I stepped into a Friday. So I have watched, uh, what's it called? Family Matters in the past few weeks or whatever, past few months. So that, that was in the TGI Friday or TGIF block. I loved, uh, I don't know, I think it was the, the TGIF block. Was it the dinosaurs? I think so, like in the original run. Yeah, if you want to watch a series finale that's going to bum you out, dinosaurs. Watch the dinosaurs series finale. Yeah, I mean, at least it was somewhat uh, historically accurate, so to speak. I mean, it's historically accurate as a puppet dinosaur tv program can be but like ha- yeah having a well i mean you all know what happened <laughs> to the dinosaurs so in real life so that's essentially uh what happened in the show but yeah that is a very uh very bummer type feeling to have very a very sad feeling what's what's a full house tgif i can't remember i th- i want to say yes but i could be wrong I believe Full House was, and I was talking to my friend about TGIF shows, and you always knew it was a TGIF show if they took a trip to Disney World. Like, the family would go to Disney Ah. World and have, like, a a day at Disney World, because they were all ABC shows, and ABC's owned by Disney. Yep. And then, of course, there were some shows that when they changed networks, it became very bizarre. Or they, not bizarre, but wasn't the same. Like when uh, Family Matters was off of ABC and went to CBS, it just was never the same. Oh, interesting. I did not know that happened. Yeah, for like the last season or season and a half or something, they were on CBS instead of ABC. Uh-huh. Uh, because CBS, I guess, bought the rights. And I think that's around the time that the show got even weirder, where like, you know, not instead of being a blue collar, you know, a, a blue collar version of the Cosby show or whatever, it just became Quantum Leap as they, I don't know if you've ever seen that video from Key and Peele show where they <laughs> joke about it and like, yeah, like it, the very first episodes were pretty grounded and had like 
stories dealing with racism, drugs, uh, all that stuff. But then Steve Urkel comes and like now they he invents a shrink ray and now they're stuck on the kitchen ca- on the kitchen cabinet or he invents a time machine and they get stuck in the 1800s on a pirate ship and stuff. So it just becomes weird after a while. I just remember Robot Urkel and then Stefan. Yeah. Stefan Urkel. So, Family Lounge did take a turn. They were like, we're going in a new direction. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm ready to move on to podcast and talk about Full Metal Alchemist, though I'm also open to us doing a uh, Family Matters podcast at some point. Who knows? Yeah, All options are open. I mean, we're going to have to do something when we're done with this show. All right, let's get started. So this is episode 24 of our podcast, which is pretty awesome, because now that means you have, what, 24 hours of content to listen to, get get through a whole day that way. Anyway, we are going to be talking about episode 46, Looming in Shadows, and episode 47, Emissary of Darkness. And yeah, a lot happened in these episodes. I don't know why I always say that, but... Really, a lot starting to happen because we're, you know, we're getting closer to that promised day and everything. So, let's recap. Let's start with episode forty-six. So, some time has passed, and the promised day is coming. They don't ever explicitly say how much time has passed, but from some comments that are made, it's clear that it's been a few months. Uh, we see Miles and the Briggs soldiers in Risen Bull. They're there to unload water. Well, it turns out that their plan to unload these these cans of water was just an elib- uh was just an elaborate plan to sneak Winry back to Risenbull without a, you know arising any suspicion from Central or anything like that. She returns home and checks out everything, and she begins to undress in her room, only to notice Ed in the corner of the room eating. She screams. The Brig soldiers run to check up and see what's happening to Winry, only to be caught off guard by our Chimera friends, Darius and Heinkel. They, of course, get attacked by the family dog, and then Greed shows up to grab the dog, and it becomes a thing. Uh, basically, Ed and the crew didn't really know where else to go after they had found Ling, so they're just hanging out at Winry's house. Winry, of course, hilariously kicks everyone but Ed out of the room. Winry tells Ed that Al is with Miles at the train station. The train will leave soon, so Ed should hurry. Ed starts walking in that direction, but then he stops because he realizes that he is a fugitive and he cannot risk being seen, as that could put other people's lives in danger, not just his own. Al is shown in the train and Miles loads him up. He says that the next time they pass the Risenbull, he hopes that Al is able to see the town through his own eyes. Panaka walks in, introductions go around, Greed introduces himself to Winry, and naturally she's a bit confused because she knows Ling, but not Greed. Greed fills them in on everything that went on up to this point, and they came to Risenbull to also get Ed's auto mail repaired. Winry fills Ed in on everything in Lior. Al is traveling with Miles to help with their plan, Uh, that the North and East soldiers are hatching. And then Hohenheim is headed to some slum called Kanama. Uh, Winry suggests Ed go and meet with Hohenheim to get the whole story from him. 
Lemmy mentions that the promised day is coming, and Ed confirmed that, you know, he knows. Greed filled him in with everything. He asked Winry to leave the country with Pinaco. Winry refuses. She wants Ed to save everyone, not just her. He doesn't want Ed to fail. wants Ed to actually successfully stop the promised day from happening. Winry asks Ed to promise, but he doesn't because he's just like, I can't guarantee anything. Ed bumps into Greed. Greed mentions how much he wants things because, you know, that's what Greed is. Ed shows him his arm and says that this was his punishment for wanting too much. And Greed disagrees. He thinks that Greed might not be good, but it's not necessarily bad either because everyone wants something that they don't have. So it's just like part of the human condition, I guess. Ed leaves with the team in the middle of the night and he promises that he will stop the promised day from happening and he asks Winry to have an apple pie waiting. We see Jerso and Sampano with Yoki in Lior. They are wandering around waiting on Scar and Marco, but just by chance, they bump into them at an outdoor cafe. Scar and Marco are actually on the way to Central, so they join them. While walking, they wonder why Scar is willing to save a mistress. I mean, it makes sense to them why they want to save a mistress. It's their homeland, but considering he's an Ishvalan and everything that's happened, why is he wanting to help? Scar says he wants to change the country. He wants them to acknowledge their crimes, and he wants to keep it from ever happening again. We then see an Ishvalan monk appear. It looks like Scar and Marco have been re recruiting Ishvalans to help them over the past few months. We're taking to Eastern Command where Grumman arrives and speaks to Miles. It is the start of the joint exercise between East and North, and apparently Bradley has shown up to watch. We're in the train yard. We see Al... And he he's kind of sleeping, kind of not. Like, he's not sleeping in the way we normally think of sleeping. It's actually him going through one of those phases where he is, like, detaching from his body a bit. And Al's getting a little concerned because he's thinking, oh, well, this is happening too soon. I might lose my metal body here, so we need to hurry up. Al worries more and he sees gluttony actually so he's a little confused and concerned so he tries to run away but he is captured by pride mustang goes to meet olivier mustang says that he is going to have to take her to dinner soon but she kind of sees that as a threat mustang comments that olivier has a large mansion and you know it's large enough to host an entire battalion Olivier says she'll leave it to Mustang if she dies. Mustang wonders, well, why not her brother? Well, she think she kind of says that Mustang's the lesser of two evils in this situation. Mustang gives her flowers, and in the flowers is a note that says Celine Bradley is a homunculus. She pretends to be offended by them so that she can throw them in the fire. Miles mentions that they have no idea where Al is. The promised day is tomorrow, so he's likely not hurt, but they also need to figure out where he is because he is a quote-unquote sacrifice. Bradley receives a notice that rumors have been flowing about Grumman planning to stage a coup, that this entire military exercise is, uh, is a ploy. And Bradley kind of thinks that this was true, and he didn't think too much of it. He was like, yeah, I figured. But then they hear that they have been seeing some Ishvalan terrorists at Central. So they think that the plan was to trick Bradley to come over to the eastern 
patrol so he'd be away from Central, so that the soldiers would be away from Central, so it'd be easier to take over. Bradley's not having any of this, so he has a train arranged to take him back to Central. He heads off, and they begin to cross a bridge over a large ravine. The train stops due to a herd of sheep on the other end. We then see the engine detach from the car and keeps going. And then, of course, the bridge blows up. Apparently, this was Grumman's plan all along. Credits roll, and we see everyone getting together. In particular, we see Riza teaming up with uh, the former members of Mustang's crew preparing for the promised day. Post-credits, we see all the generals around a round table talking about how the Fuhrer is dead, and Olivier in her mind is disgusted at how lost everyone is without him, but she sees this as her chance to seize control of the power vacuum, but then, out of the shadows, Father appears and tells him not to worry because he's here. So yeah, things are getting a bit more tense. We're getting closer to this promised day, which I think is going to be the major climax. What did you take away from the episode? There was so many things that I liked in this episode. Uh, it feels like a lot didn't happen, but then a lot happened. I love Groman at the end. Uh, just when his plan kind of goes all the way through. And you can see like, oh, he's the one who set this all up. And I like a plan that gets fulfilled. Absolutely. I really like that too. Like he was clearly, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm just drawing a blank. Like he clearly played Bradley in all of this because he made Bradley very paranoid to the point where he would leave on the train. And then there's already rumors of there being terrorists out there. So it's not necessarily that they would immediately suspect Grumman as being the one who blew up the blew up the uh, the the bridge. So yeah, Grumman's definitely really smart and he's playing his cards right. Yeah, and the scene right before uh, Bradley leaves the training exercise, and he's getting informed about this, and I was like. Who told the plan? Like, what we we have a mole in here, and someone let the plan go, and then a couple scenes later, and you find out that this is all Grumman's plan, and which I love when letting your enemy know parts of the real plan, like trick them into doing something that you need them to do to make everything go in motion. It was it's so ingenious? I loved it. Yeah, he is definitely a sneaky guy. Like, I don't think any of us saw this coming. He, he, I mean, we know that he's up to no good. Like, that's just who he is. But, yeah, I don't think any of us really saw this coming. And all of a sudden, yeah, this happened. Like, I guess we figured, okay. Hmm. Yeah, I'm starting to really like Grumman now. He's kind of been on this, like, fringe character for me for a while. But I like a guy who's up to up to something. So it's it's really interesting. I, I want to see what he does next. Yeah. I mean, now we see why Mustang trusted him. Like, clearly he's on the side of good, so to speak, in the fact that he is willing to go through all this. And his army, which, you know, he controls the East Army, is teamed up with uh, the North Army. And, 
yeah, it looks like they're, and then of course teamed up with these Fallen's. So it looks like they're planning on doing a full on raid of some sort just with Central, and they needed to get the fear out of the way because the whole, what is it, the whole idea of if you cut the head off of a snake, the body dies or whatever. True. Yeah. Yeah. If you cut the head of a snake, you know, everything should just disappear theoretically uh but we'll see we'll see what happens i i really uh i'm really excited to see kind of where we're going from this but on that note in the beginning of the episode kind of we see winry and everyone's they're back in risen bowl and just seeing winry and then seeing ed in their hometown or not even their hometown in their homes it just was like, wow, these two characters have grown up so much because you see them in the house and you think back like they were just kids. It felt like they were just kids when we started this whole journey with them in the episode one. And now they look like adults. It's it's a little it's interesting to see the the change in them. Yes, they are definitely more mature. I think it's because they've gone through a lot more. I mean, take Winry, for example. Granted, at the beginning of the series, she dealt with, you know, the death of her parents at a young age and stuff and growing up effectively an orphan. I mean, I know she had granny, but she didn't have parents. But since then, she's had to deal with, like, confronting the killer of her parents. And, um, you know, what else did she have to deal with? Like, um being used as a as a hostage piece uh and whatnot like all of that was being done to her so that's kind of forced her to grow up you know ed and al went from simply just trying to find a way to get their bodies back to learning about this truth of the philosopher's stone and also the corruption of the military so it's like everything that's happened has forced them to grow up faster than they probably ever thought they'd have to yeah it's uh I never really noticed the change until this episode. And I wonder if it's them being back in Winry's house and just, uh, just remembering when they were kids and now you see them and they just like, they do look like the world has taken a toll on them. They don't look as carefree, even though they, they may have the carefree instincts in them. They don't feel as carefree as they were back in season one. Yeah, I'll give you that. They definitely seem more intense. Of course, there's also that fact that the promise day is right around the corner, and that's the big day when everything bad's going to take place, I guess. so. Yeah, and we see that, you know, they're still with Greed... Was it Greedling? They're still in Greedling's gang. Mm -hmm. But are they true? I, I mean, I always find... It seems like... They're in the gang, but they're also kind of moving it the way they want to because they're at Granny's house and they're chilling there, getting ready to go. So it's just, it's nice to see them becoming more adult. And granted, they were always pretty adult in the fact that, you know, we learned that they've dealt with a lot of problems early in their life. Uh, but yeah, just seeing this, this determination in them, like now they're not just doing it for themselves, they're doing it for the good of everybody around them i like that uh winry looks over his auto mail one last time and then they have to leave um 
in the middle of the night or are they leaving in the middle of the night or early morning? They wanted to leave earlier, I know. It was like middle of the night. But it's interesting. And then like Ed can't go see Al even though he wants to, which I found really it was it really upset me a little bit cuz you see he's Winry tells him and then he rushes that way and then he stops himself. Because he knows. Mm-hmm. He can't see Al. Because he'll just bring danger to Al. Little does he know what's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know. He's just like... yeah. It's it's sad. Because you know how close they are. But he's like... It's too close to the time. I'm a fugitive. I don't want to put anybody at risk. So he's just like... We're just going to have to wait until after the promised day. Or meet up on the promised day or whatnot. And be alright with that. Yeah. Yeah, ho- hopefully they'll meet sooner than later. I also love in this episode another thing I really loved a lot was Miles talking to Al and uh being like the next time you see your hometown, I hope it's through your own eyes. And I I really like that moment. It's kind of like we d- we haven't forgotten about what you guys are are on a mission for. Yeah, just to see other people care so much is nice like a lot of the soldiers like miles and whatnot seem to be pretty hard so to speak or very cold whatever term you want to use but when they have conversations like that it's like okay that's nice i it's it's great seeing the other side of uh certain characters and like learning that they're not just this outer shell that they're more than that Yes, and everybody's still on the side of the brothers wanting to them to get their bodies back. And, like, yeah, I think it is also funny, just as you mentioned, like, they all still recognize that that's what the brothers want. Like, in spite of all of this craziness going on with needing to take over the government and everything and stop Father from doing his evil attack or whatever, like, they still have this, hey, we want to help you out mentality yeah I, I love that and unfortunately al gets attacked by gluttony and pride at this moment and he's like at his most vulnerable yeah this is another one of those instances where somebody's like takes over his body essentially yeah because oh. we see yeah. like pride grab him and i think pride like jump into him or whatnot and we see the little tendrils touch his um, the little symbol or whatnot. So I don't think he killed Al because he can't. I think he just, like maybe used his powers to put him to sleep or something. I don't know. Anytime I feel like we're messing with that symbol, it's too too uncomfortable for me. That's Al's lifeline to the real world. So I don't want anyone touching it. Yeah, he. I guess, yeah, that's always a thing, because he mentioned earlier in the series that if that ever gets deleted or ruined, that he would die, and then we do see that happen to Barry the Chopper. So, yeah, it always makes me a little uncomfortable, too, whenever they get too close to the little uh, blood symbol. That's happening, and then in that same instance, Alice sees his his body. He's getting visions of his body um, where the truth is. Yeah, so it's like his I guess his metal body is starting to reject his old body or something to that effect. So 
uh, or yeah, his uh, soul is starting to reject his metal body. And once that happens, his soul's got to go somewhere. So it's probably going to try to go back to his body, but his body is on the other side of the gate. So, and it's interesting that he's seeing the same, he's seeing his actual body, even though he's never seen it. I believe only person who's seen it is Edward. I think, yeah, he's never actually seen it. You're right about that one. Like, in the same way that Edward did, where he went through the gate and saw his body. But I do think he is seeing it, like, when he gets pulled closer. Yeah, I mean, like, he is seeing... it's it's, it's He's seeing the true vision of his body. So I wonder if there's, like, some connection there. Like, he's seeing what we know is true. It's not like he f- senses it and he, his mind is thinking of something. Because what his mind is thinking, it, unless he's, like, really good at imagining but he's seeing exactly what we've seen to be his body well i mean hopefully he's all right we know that pride in them won't kill him because they he's a sacrifice he is needed to be alive during the promised day that's what they've been pretty much doing up to this point the homunculus trying to keep him alive so i don't know i guess we're gonna have to see what happens next i'm also curious about why keep certain people are like certain souls more like powerful to power them up. Cause I assume they're making a giant philosopher's stone. Cause this, that's the only reason we've seen one of these happen unless something else is going to happen. But it seems like they want to keep certain people around. Cause they're like, they offer more than a regular soul would, I guess. I think, yeah. Well, I think it's because if we see everybody that they mention. Uh, in that earlier episode where we see him with uh, with father with like those chess pieces or whatever you want to call him and he's naming out the different people and he's saying like okay Edward Elric Alphonse Elric one thing I've noticed is that the four people he named are all people who opened the gate so I think there is something about being able to open the gate that he needs them for he needs them to help open a larger gate or I don't know, something like that. I, I mean, the promised day is coming, so we're going to find out soon enough. That, very true. I guess on that note, unless you have anything else, we can just jump to the next one. Now, my animal instincts are saying this next episode is going to be really good. Trust those instincts. All right. So let's just jump into it. Episode 47, Emissary of Darkness. We start with Alphonse waking up. At first, we think maybe it's his body waking him up because it's kind of, it's clearly in his head because we see the white expanse and everything, but it's pride. Ed arrives in Count of Modesty, Hohenheim. Of course, the first thing Ed does is punch Hohenheim. Greed introduces himself to Hohenheim, and then Greed, you know, says, yeah, I'm a homunculus. Hohenheim then tells his whole story to them. Ed has a hard time accepting this truth. It seems like he's having a harder time than Al did. Uh, Hohenheim offers them his Philosopher's Stone in order to get their bodies back. Ed refuses to use other people's souls to fix his mistakes. Hohenheim is proud of Ed for this viewpoint. Hohenheim also points out that there is a solar eclipse tomorrow, and that is what Father is waiting for. Hohenheim asks for Ed's help, but Ed refuses. Ed still is going to help, but he is making a point that, hey, we just happen to have the same goal. I'm not actually helping you. Then Ed gives Hohenheim 
uh, his mom's final words, which were, sorry, I couldn't keep my promise, but I am dying first. We see Hohenheim start to look up and cry, and I think Ed sees him in a different light for the first time. While eating, Darius and Heinkel want Ed to talk to his dad. Ed refuses to, and they try to get to the bottom of it. They try to figure out why he refuses to talk to him. And it seems like Ed just is lost. Like he just wasn't, this wasn't what he was expecting when he was meeting Hohenheim. And I think that's what's making him angry. And that's so much what he says. Hohenheim stares into the fire that he is sitting in, like a little campfire. And it reminds him of all the talks he had with Trisha and how he asked her to wait. Hohenheim talks to his photo of Trisha saying that he should have been with her when she died. Hohenheim then says, tomorrow, Trisha. Ed buys a bolt of red fabric and uses it to create a new red cloak. Obviously, he wants to fight in style. Ed tells the other guys that they need to leave. That, you know, things are going to get dangerous, but they are determined to stay with Ed to the end. We then see Al coming out of the forest, but something's not quite right. I mean, Al should be with Major Miles in the east, so what is he doing here? We see Greed freaking out a little bit. Al says that he needs to talk and walks towards the forest. Ed questions if Al is all right. Then we hear Ling as he's taking control of Greed's body, and he's warning Ed that this is not Al. Pride then comes out of the armor and attacks. Pride then reveals himself and insults Greed for sharing the body with a human and really for just defecting. At the destroyed bridge, Miles and Grumman mention that they haven't recovered from the Fuhrer's body. Grumman will oversee the search as he just will not rest until he gets a confirmed kill. Grumman is fine with letting Mustang take on Central, and it's largely because he knows that Central will still be powerful enough and still kind of operate under the assumption that the Fuhrer is alive. And so if Mustang leads a coup, they will attack him and handle him. And this will be a perfect opening for Grumman to come in and kind of cover things up, or not cover things up, but uh, smooth things out and then become the Fuhrer. Uh, we see into Miles' mind, and Miles apparently has already caught on to what Grumman is up to. So that's kind of funny. Pride now sees Greed as an enemy, and he wants to handle him, but Pride reveals that he has taken control of Al's actual body. At first, Ed just thinks, oh, he's impersonating Al's body, but he removes his head to show the blood seal. Pride begins to take on Ed. The Chimera hide, but Ed doesn't care as much. He's a little upset that they're not helping him, but he also told them to hide, so whatever. Uh, but he knows that they need him alive, so they're not going to kill him. And Pride acknowledges that he can't kill him, but, you know, he can still dismember him. Ed starts to fight Pride, and he wants to keep him from the slums. Greed is captured by Pride, and then Ed uses his alchemy to shut off the power in the nearby slum. Everyone is curious as to what happened, but Hohenheim suspects something happened in the woods with the brothers. Because there are no lights, Pride can't cast his shadow, and he's just as blind as everybody else is in the dark. Greed realizes that Al's body is standing relatively close to the forest's edge. They figure this is because Salim is in the forest controlling him. Heinkel takes the form of a lion and attacks Pride. He's kind of benefiting from his ability to smell and just the animal bloodlust that comes from that. 
Darius tells Ed that they should just wait and stay put until Heinkel is done with Pride. Greed begins to ponder how Pride was even able to find them. Like, was this an ability that Father gave them? At this point, Gluttony attacks. It looks like Gluttony's sense of smell is what helped Pride. Greed points out that, you know, Darius essentially has the same advantage as Gluttony. They're both blind, but they both can smell things. So he starts to fight Gluttony, but of course, because it's dark, he accidentally attacks Ed. Greed realizes that Gluttony has an advantage over them in the dark. And then, of course, when the lights inevitably return, Pride will have the advantage. This means there is no way they're going to have an easy win. Ling tells Greed to switch with him because Ling has the ability to sense the presence of Homunculus. They switch and Ling joins the Ling joins the fight. Gluttony gets angry and he begins to open his larger mouth that we see in the earlier episodes. But then all of a sudden we just see a fast moving body just start slicing up Gluttony. Turns out this this uh <clears throat> turns out Lon Fawn has returned to join the fight. So yeah, we got Lon Fawn back, and Ling's got control of the body and all that stuff. So a lot of cool things are happening, and now the brothers are technically meeting up again. What were some of your thoughts? I am loving Hohenheim even more than I thought I was going to love this character. Just because he's done this 180, and I guess not. maybe it's just in my mind. But maybe everyone's mine. Because uh, you you see him first and he's like so serious. And we're seeing him from Ed's perspective. And now we get to see him and he has a softer side. And about the promise that he wanted to keep for his uh, to his wife and the promise she made to him. It was really just a touching moment. Yeah, and we're, we are definitely going to see more of him too. Like it's clear that him leaving them had nothing to do with him not being wanting to be a father or him being irresponsible or him hating them or anything. Like it's clear that he left because he knew that this promise day was coming and he had something to fight for. And he probably felt like he was the only one who could actually stop father. So he left to kind of find a way to, to stop father so that he could save the people he loves Whereas, you know, when we look at it in the early episodes, it just sounds like, oh, yeah, this is a guy who just deserted them in the middle of the night for no apparent reason. And you can see that Ed is conflicted about this because he wanted, I don't know, when he was talking about his mom and how he wanted to, he would deliver her last words to him. I felt like he wanted it to hurt him in a different way, but it just it made him sad or it made Hohenheim sad or reflect back about how he kind of broke his promise to her. And I don't think that was the reaction Ed was expecting. And now he's conflicted about his feelings for his dad. Yeah. I think he thinks that Hohenheim didn't care and that's why he left and everything. And I think there's still a part of him that blames Hohenheim leaving for her death. Like if he, if he had been present, maybe she wouldn't have died kind of thing. And so, yeah, I think he's assuming, oh, yeah, she he never really cared, so I'm just going to give him the message or whatnot. But then when he sees him crying, he realizes, oh, yeah, he really does care. I would love to see them, how they met, and kind of their backstory, um, his wife and him. Just because 
it seems like he didn't want to really be with anyone because he knew that his life was never ending and that whoever he met or fell in love with or decided to be his companion would they would fade away while he has to continue living his life so i really wonder like what changed him what made this connection yeah i don't know because we we I mean, we know he's been wandering around for nearly 400 years, and he even says as much that he didn't make any kind of emotional connection with anybody until he met Trisha. And it's like, I'm sure he's run into other people in those 400 years. So, yeah, now I'm kind of curious what was special about that connection. I don't know. Maybe we will get an answer. Maybe we won't. Maybe it'll just be left up to the ether for us to decide. But that, that is a good point. Like, what what made him change in that type of relationship. But maybe it's also one of those things that doesn't really have an answer. Like, you know, how did you know that this person was the one? And, you know, all those weird questions, maybe it's in that same vein. True. I do think there's something very special, something about her, but like, not just that, but to have children together and know that you're going to outlive your children. I mean, that's, it's a lot going on for someone who knows the pain of living an eternal life. Yeah, because he can't die, and I think that's what really changed his mind, too, is when that reality hit that he is going to watch people. I I guess he's going to watch the people he loves die, and there's no way you can stop it, really. Yeah, so it really... I Now, I feel like now I'm getting this side of him, this other side, you know. He's not just this heartless guy. And he never was really a heartless guy. He was doing all this to preserve the one thing that he found in life that made him stop. You know, he was always this wanderer, but this his family made him stop. And now he has to leave the thing he loves to save it. I like that. This anime is so great. Yes. Uh, it, it goes deeper with all these people. I agree. That's one of my favorite things about it is we do get this kind of stronger what's the word i'm looking for the stronger look at the human condition that you don't necessarily get in a lot of the shonen anime that exists out there uh we do get to see the depths of hohenheim and i yeah this is like the first not this is the first time we've seen ed with hohenheim but this is the first time we've seen ed with hohenheim with like purpose because that first time we see ed with hohenheim uh in risen bowl it's kind of it's kind of in passing and Ed doesn't really want to talk to him and Hohenheim doesn't really want to push it either. But yeah, now it seems like they're actually uh, like having a real conversation because they have like a mission to accomplish. Yeah. And he tells Ed the truth, not just Ed, but he tells everyone in that group the truth. And I guess his backstory and everything that's going on. And he makes the offer to Ed that because he is a living philosopher so that if they want they can use him to get their bodies back and ed says that he doesn't want to use any more people or like he doesn't want to use people and he doesn't want people to be sacrificed for them to get their bodies back which is great because you can see the the pride not like pride pride but like the joy in his dad's face being like these are good kids Yep, absolutely. And he is happy to hear that 
Edward views the souls in the same way that he does, because we clearly see from the way the monkey eye view human souls and stuff, they just see it as energy to be used and whatnot. But, you know, Ed, Edward and Hohenheim and Al, for that matter, all see the human soul as like still being human, so they can't just use it willy nilly. Now, granted, you know, Hohenheim doesn't really have a choice because he was turned into a philosopher's stone. So, you know, it is what it is on his end. But the brothers have a choice about whether or not to use a philosopher's stone for their own gains. Yeah, and then they they choose the other route because they believe that they they can find a way to do it without a philosopher's stone. Absolutely. But speaking about pride, we get some pride action, which I'm not happy about at all yes and i think this is like the if i remember correctly this is the first time really any of them had had to deal with pride because i think the only people who've actually had to deal directly with pride aside from obviously the monkey lie and whatnot were riza and hohenheim so this is the first most of them are meeting of him and learning about his powers and stuff so it's just i think it's really throwing them for a loop because they're they they don't know how to fight this or how to deal with it. And yeah. And of course, just the emotional part of them thinking that they have Al, but they don't, but then they do, but he's being controlled. And yeah. I mean, pride has to know what he's doing. Of course he knows what he's doing, but it's like this more psychological warfare he's doing against Ed by hijacking Al's body. And just, I can't imagine what's going through Ed's head right now. Yeah, probably a lot of things. Probably anger more than anything else, still having to deal with somebody taking advantage of his brother like that. It's just, it's insane. And then we get some cool fighting scenes, because uh, Pride is a very deadly fighter. Oh yeah, there's there's no real defense against him either. Like everything we've seen them use against him, um, like up to this point, like creating rock barriers and stuff, he's able to just chop through it like it's nothing. It, I mean, granted, Ed thought quickly and was able to figure out what was going on and figured, okay, if he can't create a shadow, then he's pretty much powerless. So shutting down the power, but then that leaves them at a disadvantage because they can't see either. So really, all they could do is just kind of wait. And then, so they're in the dark, and Greed says that for Pride to be doing this, his, like, vessel needs to be near. And in my mind, I was like, oh, is he in a jar? Like, is it kind of like Father, where we see this jar, uh, homunculus in a jar? But no, it's Salim's body is there. And... Man, what a turn. Like we were talking about Hohenheim. How he started one way and now he's completely changed in my mind. Salim. I was like, I liked this kid. He was great. He was interesting. What a turn this character has had for me. Yeah, he is pure evil now. And that is just bizarre to see this like little kid who is just you know, acting like a normal little kid, all excited and everything, and getting to meet his hero and all of that, and writing little reports at school. But now we just see that he's like, oh, a demon child. True. And then 
we see the chimera the i don't remember his name but it's the tiger one or lion one yeah Heinkel. we see him use his animal instincts to see in the dark to attack pride and i know pride is evil but it was a little tough to watch him beat up a little kid yeah, it is hard because that's what you're you're looking at. You're looking at a little kid getting beat up, but yeah, it is a little weird to watch that. And Pride brings that up too as he's being beat up. He's like, "You're just gonna attack a a little kid." Yeah, and obviously, I think he's just trying to mess with his head, but. Obviously, Heinkel also can smell that there's just something off with this kid, that it's not actually a human. So that's probably what he's... It's probably also beneficial that he can't actually see Salim. And then Salim's kind of talking in his pride voice, not in his little boy voice. So I'm guessing, even though he might not feel like an adult, like he's not the right height to be an adult, because he can't see him, I'm sure he's like able to work through that. And then Gluttony pops out, and we got Gluttony involved in all this, too, because, you know, of course, when one thing goes wrong, you might as well just add more craziness to the motion. And they're like, we can take on Gluttony. And then, I'm really bad at the names, if the podcast listeners don't know already, but the other Chimera soldier, I call him Gorilla Guy. Yeah, I think it's Darius, but we do see that Ed keeps calling him Mr. Gorilla. Yes, and I loved that scene because he goes into fight, but he attacks Ed. And Ed says, Mr. Gorilla, I thought we were supposed to be near each other for protection. Or like how we, we wouldn't attack each other. And it's just a... And again, it's those funny moments in between all this action that's happening that I really enjoy part this in this anime. Yes, and then of course the biggest, well, I don't know if you call it the biggest, but to me it's the biggest thing that happened. We get Lawn Fawn back with Auto Mail. Yeah, not just like, it's not like your average Auto Mail. This stuff is meant to fight with. Yeah, she clearly has like that little blade on it and everything, and we know she's not an alchemist, so she's not turning it into a blade the same way uh, Ed does. So yeah, hers is like purposely built for combat. And we see her take down Gluttony. I don't know if it's because it's like a sneak attack, but she knocks him down easily. Yeah, sneak attack and speed because you can barely see her move. So yeah, she's able to get a... You know, how fast does Gluttony's sense of smell work? Is, is he able to tell that she's changed direction? And reacted enough time to actually defend himself? My guess is no. What I do enjoy about this whole moment is that it's been long enough since we last saw Lon Fan that I forgot about her. Like, I remember her as a character and seeing her, I remember her. But I forgot about her as in the picture and she comes back, which makes it just a great moment. It, she, no one's talked about her for a while. Uh, I guess Ling mentioned, like, did you get her that message? But it didn't really hit me like she's going to come back in this awesome way. So I was surprised. At first, I thought it was Marco. I don't know why. Just because how Gluttony was all electrocute looking. And I was like, oh, yeah. Marco 
came in. Not that Margo could do a cool flip like that, but in my mind, I was like, Margo's back? But no, it was Lanfant. And it's going to be fun seeing her join the group and having to deal with it's not Ling, but it's Greed. But Ling is in there. Now, if anything, it's probably going to help because we can see that Ling and the Shingy's people are able to sense the, what is the word, uh, the presence of the homunculi. So it gives them the advantage for finding Ling, I guess, that he's now homunculus. And, you know, they're his guards and that's kind of their duty. So that's actually probably my my headcanon guess as to how she found them. But so she was probably tracking Greed. I'm excited that she's back. And I wonder what's like, what's going to happen to Gluttony? We already, I felt like Gluttony was already on his last leg. Like he's using up a lot of his energy. So is this the end of Gluttony? Or are we going to shrink him down to something as and keep him in a jar as well? I don't know. He might just get straight up killed is my guess. Because I guess what we know about Gluttony is that he sort of kind of died in season three, but he was just kind of reconsumed back by father. And I'm guessing he was made stronger again. So now he's back to his old self. But yeah, I mean, we, what we also know about with like lust and I guess homunculi in general is that when they use up their philosopher's stone, they die permanently. So, you know, lawn fawn is, is definitely getting the drop on him. So I don't think we're going to see him too much longer. I I mean, I wouldn't be too sad if Gluttony left us. He kind of weirds me out sometimes. I enjoy him sometimes because he's funny, but most of the time he weirds me out. So I wouldn't be too much. And Pride can handle a lot on his own. So he doesn't yeah. really need too much backup. I mean, right now he does because he can't see and he can't use his powers. But in general, yeah, he probably doesn't need it. But... And it leaves us like in a great kind of cliffhanger kind of place for what's coming up next. Mm-hmm. Which hopefully we will get to find out in the next episode. I mean, <clears throat> Lanfont's back. Uh, Ling is back in control of greed. Everybody's teaming up to fight pride and gluttony. A lot's going to happen in this next episode, I believe. And of course, I think we see Hohenheim kind of sees that something weird is going on or he senses something weird is going on when all the power comes out. So I can only assume he's going to join the fight too in in some capacity. Yeah. And I wonder if, you know, pride is going to recognize Hohenheim. Oh wait, they've already met. So of course he'll recognize him. Yeah. But it is interesting. I'm excited to see what happens next. Oh, and side note, I don't like Grumman anymore. Everything's changed. Characters flip. I flip flop on characters all the time. I liked Grumman last episode. This episode, now that I know Grumman has his alternative motives, and he's not like truly trying to help out the country, I'm kind of off of the Grumman train. I think it's both. Like I, I, I don't like that he has this plan, like this plan B to take over the country for himself. But then again, it doesn't make him any different than Mustang in that sense, or, or Olivier for that matter, because they all kind of want that power. 
uh you know he's it seems like he's just being strategic about it i think they all they all want the same thing too in the sense that they want the fuhrer out they want father stopped they want all that done but yeah i think they're they're definitely i think it's going to be a power struggle between olivier mustang and grumman over who gets to be the fuhrer because we yeah we definitely see those three people have all wanted that power or have all indicated that they wanted that power I would like to see Olivier's kind of why she, you know, does she want it just so she can be in charge and she can have the most power? Because we know Mustang wants to make changes happen. And we've seen that since the Ishvalan War. And he looks up and he's like, this system isn't working. And I, I know how to fix it. Or I want to be the person that fixes it. So I feel like for him, there's like good involved in it. But. I don't know about the other two. Yeah, I guess all we can do is find out as time progresses. I know, and we're getting closer to the end. Yeah, probably another, like, let's see. I'm going to say, like, another season and a half, maybe. And then we're, we're done. I know. It seems, it seems like it's coming up too fast. Well, hopefully we can catch up in the next week and figure out more of what's happening. I hope so. Cool. Well, as always, people, I want to thank you for listening. And we will be here next week to talk more about Full Metal Alchemist. I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy. Bye. Bye. Thank you.